great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. Was there something that told you to retire? Yeah, you know, it was my body. It, it was the fact that uh, getting into the weight room um, after season in, in January and then trying to start the process again of building back up and training and running and doing those things, I realized that, you know, in camp in 2007, I, I tore my meniscus in my left knee and the opportunity there was, okay, we can stitch it up and you could be out, you know, six to eight weeks or we can remove it and you could play in two. So my decision at that point was just take out the meniscus. Hmm. I'll, you know, I'll strap it up and play the season. Um, so I never really got a chance to rehab it correctly because I just went from surgery to getting stitches out to playing football. So um, getting back in, that was just one of the things that kind of, let me know getting back into training was one of the things that let me know it was time is when, you know, I looked at my legs and I could totally see a difference in size. And I just knew that the hill was going to be way too, way too high to climb. That was a former Edmonton CFL football linebacker, AJ gas and current special teams coordinator and linebackers coach with said football team uh welcome to sports and more where almost anything goes episode number 56 my name is dean millard and aj gas is our guest today looking forward to bringing you that conversation we discussed the fact that the season was canceled and you know what was going to be uh the season that they were going to have uh we also discussed his journey uh to to get here and and also something that a lot of guys in the canadian football league realize um you know coming to a new country in a new league that transition especially when snow comes so we talked a lot about his career we chatted about coaching uh we discussed uh, his injuries as you heard there and so much more um, it's going to be a fun conversation that I think you're really going to enjoy, uh, particularly going back, uh, doing some word association with some of his teammates and reliving, uh, the two gray cups that the Eskimos, and we will get into, um, what, uh, you know, he is known for, for some CFL fans outside of Edmonton, that helmet toss and some of the stuff that happens under the pile. So that is all coming up on the program with AJ Gas. We'll get to our top three, our poll question, and our perfect player in a second. But uh, the weekly tribute uh, is for the mute button on Twitter. Um, there are so many people on Twitter I do not want to interact with. Like the, the blocks are obvious, right? You know, uh, there are certain people that you know if you if you come at somebody, doesn't even have to be me. You come at somebody that I know in a derogatory way, you're blocked. Any kind of racism, any of that, that's blocked. But the mute button is great because some moron can be yelling at me and I'm like, you know, I really don't need to listen to this guy. And I'm also not giving this guy any kind of satisfaction of blocking him and thinking that he annoys me when he really does, but you just mute him and you don't have to ever deal with that person again. I mean, there's no way you would stand on a street corner and let somebody say any of that stuff for you. So the mute button is great. 
uh, because I don't ever, ever have to see or hear from that person again. And right now, it's a weird time. Politics have all, always had one side or the other, but it is so, so ugly right now. We don't spend a lot of time on politics. We don't spend any time on religion on this show, uh, but just anything, you know, your beliefs on what's going on with COVID, Black Lives Matter. None of those two things are political, but they're so dividing on Twitter. So I love the mute button. The weekly tribute this week is for the mute button on Twitter uh, that allows uh, me to have to, it allows me to uh, filter out the stupid, you know, thin the herd. Like there needs to be a thinning of the herd because there's some people out there that are causing some serious damage with their beliefs. So the mute button is the uh, weekly tribute. As for the top three presented by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports, uh, it is the most realistic fantasy platform out there. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Not only do you get all the best things about playing fantasy as far as daily changes, uh, complete roster, you get a 27-player protected list. Uh, It mimics the NHL. There's actually a playoff. When the NHL playoffs start, we have a playoffs. We actually do a draft and and draft players off the non-playoff teams. Everything is unique and mimics, uh, is unique to fantasy and mimics the NHL, but it's not just for owners because there's only 31 teams soon to be 32. No idea how much that team is going to go for. This is definitely high stakes fantasy, uh, but there's 31 teams. So you might not be able to get by a team. You could join a team. You might be able to buy into a team as far as a percentage, if you really want to get into it that way, uh, which would be smart right now uh, because the franchise evaluations are going through the roof in this platform, uh, but you can also be a scout. Yeah, indeed. You can scout future players, just like guys like Craig Button, who does track in the draft with me. You could scout the same players, list them, and then when they become eligible to join a franchise, they get auctioned off, you get that money. So everything about this is so realistic. And oh, by the way, they're branching into MMA. So keep it locked on sports and more and soon-to-be fantasy fun time with myself and Jamie Thomas to find out more information about Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. In this format, you own the game, so get in the game. All right, our top three topic today is in honor of Terry Fox, who ended his journey on this day across Canada, over 5,000 kilometers. Uh, I think it was in Thunder Bay uh, where his uh, journey came to an end. So asking you for your top three individual accomplishments by an athlete. What are your top three individual accomplishments by an athlete? Uh, I have uh, Forrest Gump as my honorable mention when he just started running. He just felt like running and he went. Uh, And he inspired a lot of uh, items, I guess you might say. The t-shirt, the the shit happens uh, sticker. Uh, For number three, for me, I'm going with uh, Nadia Kamenich. The perfect 10 at the 1976 Montreal Olympics. Perfect 10. And it wasn't the only one. And, uh, you know, she didn't have the, the easiest life 
as at one point she was detained in her home country and then had to uh, defect to America, but a perfect 10 in gymnastics in the 76 games. Uh, still at the Olympics, Michael Phelps, 28 Olympic medals in total, 23 gold, eight of them a record at the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And number one for me is Jesse Owens. And not for what you might think. Uh, as impressive as the 1936 Olympic Games were, and you should really watch the show Race if you want to find out more about uh, Jesse Owens. It's wonderful. Um, in 1936, he won four Olympic gold medals uh, in front of Hitler as a black man. How bold is that? That is boss. But what I'm talking about is a year earlier uh, when he was uh, with uh, the Buckeyes, Ohio State, competing in Michigan. He broke three world records, long jump, 220-yard sprint, and the 220-yard hurdle, and tied a world record in the 100-meter dash in less than an hour. That is ridiculous. Four records in less than an hour. Jesse Owens, 1935. That is amazing. Holy shnikes. You can get more details at www.uffsports.com. Get in the game where you own the game. All right, before we get to AJ Gas, I want to tell you about Podcast Alley, your one-stop shop for podcasts. We'll have one-timers with AJ in a couple of days. You can check it out at podcastalley.ca. We'll also have a track in the draft with Craig Button coming out this Thursday, Kylie Beaudry from Parkland Flower will join me on the Cannabis 101 podcast this week. We'll also have one hitters with her and keep it locked on Podcast Alley because coming soon to whatever device you use will be fantasy fun time with myself and Jamie Thomas. Dynamite! Looking forward to bringing you that show in the next little while. Okay, AJ Gas on the other side of the bio time for the bio aj gas was born in bellflower california and raised in corona he graduated from Servite High School in Anaheim and took criminology while playing football at Fresno State. After college, he spent a 10-year career with Edmonton in the CFL, winning two Grey Cups and coached one season as a defensive assistant upon retirement. In 2009, he finished his degree at Fresno State and volunteered as a football coach at the high school level. A year later, he returned to his old high school, first as an assistant for three years, then as two years as a head coach. He also held the head coach position at Garces Memorial in Bakersfield, California, before returning to Edmonton in 2019 as special teams coordinator and adding linebackers coach this offseason. AJ, it is a pleasure to have you on uh, the program. You and I met, uh, you were on one side of the microphone, I was on the other side, and um, I, you know we kind of had a relationship that way, but our wives worked together and, um, you know, we became a little bit closer after your two MCs at your wedding, uh, Sean Fleming and Ed Hervey made me get up and demonstrate how to make the bride and groom kiss. Uh, so our, our relationship has transpired from, you know, one be, you know, interviewing to being at your wedding. It's a bit of a different one. 
Absolutely. <laughs> that was a good wedding too, by the way. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a was an absolute blast in a in a beautiful uh, location. Um, I, I guess uh, you know. I guess thanks for for joining me. First of all, what is the what's the last seven months been like for the gas family? Uh, it's probably been similar to everybody's. You know, trying to finish off the kids' school year last year uh, was challenging. Um, being cooped up in the house, everybody had a little bit of cabin fever. So uh, it, it's been it's been trying, but uh, you know we we've done a great job pulling through as a family, and and uh, now we're kind of hopefully seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I think a lot of people are in in that boat, and uh, you know it it really uh, you know can strengthen the family bond, uh, and you know and then there's a point where you're like, ah, oh, we gotta got to get out and start doing things again. And, and hopefully we are sort of at that point where we can safely do things. Now, unfortunately, there was the, the, the news about the, the CFL season. But, you know, before the, the cancellation happened, was there a point where you think, where you thought, it? well, wow, you know, this is going to either happen or it's not? Like, what side were you on leading up to all that? Uh, well, you know, I had a, a sixth sense when, when they canceled the, the Combines the global and then just the CFL combine in general, once they canceled that and then basketball, you know, walked off the court and, you know, it really became real that this is a real big um, possibility that there's going to be no sports at all. Um, And then just as the time went on, it was probably mid, uh, mid July that I was saying, it's just too late. I mean, I don't see how we're going to be able to pull this whole thing together. Um, too many loose ends, too many variables, uh, tons of coordination, and, and not a ton of resources. So that combination in itself kind of gave me the impression that we'd have to, you know, call it off for the year. Yeah, I think the last thing anybody needed to do was try to rush something through and say, yeah, we're going to have a season and hope everything goes well. You have to be really careful. We're talking about something that is obviously uh, caused a lot of deaths around the world. So when they canceled the season, you're obviously disappointed, but it sounds like you kind of saw it objectively. Well, yeah. I mean, I think my my biggest concern was that, you know, the the players, I mean, these these poor guys, they've been busting their butt all off season. Some guys, um, some guys really have, have this as their sole, you know, breadwinning for the year. And, to be dragged on and on and on and just dangling that little bit of hope in front. Meanwhile, months are passing and these guys are out of work and they don't know what to do. So my heart really went out to those guys because um, that uncertainty, especially when you have a family is, is devastating. And uh, I think the players association did a great job trying to do everything they can to get their guys covered. Um, It just, you know, unfortunately it couldn't all come together at the right time. What do you do personally now um, from now until whenever you guys can get going again, as far as, you know, not, not personally from you, but just, you know, what sort of things can you do or you, are you doing um, as far as preparing for when you get back up? Is there a lot that you can actually do right now? Well, considering we have a pretty new coaching staff, there's still a ton of stuff that we can do. Um, lots of it's just about, you know, getting guys, comfortable with philosophies and ideas. So we're still breaking down opponents, going through games, trying to, to get a feel for, you know, how we'd play this team or how we play that team, even though player movement's going to be a, 
a huge deal heading into next year. Um, you still get a sense of the coaches you have around you. So we're going to go through every team, break them down, and kind of create a game plan as if we were going to play, just so that we keep our momentum heading into next year. Right, and and you brought up a really good point with the uh, the new coaching staff. Probably a lot of it is just talking and communicating, and you know, you know, explaining you know, different philosophies, uh, from, from the new head coach, uh, and, and to the new head coach. And, you know, sounds like he's a guy that, you know, values a, a lot of opinions. So, um, I guess there's, uh, just kind of this, this gives you kind of this weird opportunity to have, um, this, this, I don't know if you call it coaching bonding session that, that could extend <laughs> for a while, but, uh, it, it does, I guess, give you an opportunity to, to get, you know, your head coach a little bit more. Yep. Absolutely. Are you a fantasy football guy? Will you will you dive into fantasy football right now? Uh, I've I've been in I've been doing fantasy for I don't know 10, 10 years maybe fifteen years. Um, I'm in a league that was you know formed in nineteen ninety six when these guys from college friends of mine were just using newspapers and <laughs> pens and paper to tally up points. Um, so when I got a chance to jump in that league, I totally did and. We've been going hard ever since. Oh, that is awesome. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how fantasy sports, particularly football on Sundays has changed how I actually watch games. Okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a Raiders <laughs> fan at heart, but my quarterback is playing in this game. So I gotta, I gotta pick the game that really means the most to me. It's kind of interesting how it changes you. It's, it totally does. That's why it kind of, you lose the, you know, you lose the drive to follow a team and then you do like I do and you just follow individual players. So um, it's a total different dynamic, but I still think it's great for the game. Yeah, fantasy football is uh, absolutely massive. We're going to be launching uh, a podcast called Fantasy Fun Time, myself and Jamie Thomas in the next little while, and there'll be lots of fantasy football. I, that the, That's one of the things, you know, the, that show, The League, I don't know if you ever watch it. It's really crude, but it's about fantasy football a little bit. And um, it's exaggerated, but fantasy football is, um, you know, it's really important for some people and it's, a, it's amazing when the trash talking gets going within the league, how creative some people can get. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. When you get back on the field, it is going to be with a new team name, I guess, thoughts on the process. And are there any names that you're liking that you're hearing? Um, well, the, the the process is is you know probably I don't know three or four years ago you know it really was brought to my attention. I didn't even realize that it was such a an issue. You know, maybe I was just a, a dumb American not realizing that you know the name goes back way further and has all these negative connotations. And so for me, a few years ago, it was like, wow, that that might be one of those deals that they change. Um, and then when we had our community community group go up to the communities and talk and do their evaluations, I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's going to change for sure. Um, I think it's the right move. I think there's no progress without change. Uh, it is, you know, it is for guys like me who spent their whole career here under the name Eskimo. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to accept, but you understand that it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the names being kicked around, I don't know. It was the elk. We were the elk at one point, so there was something to that. Um, I think eagle, eagles would be good, considering there's golden eagles here in Alberta. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I proposed a few months ago, maybe the elite Edmonton elite, just trying to keep the, the double E. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you try to do that, you really tie in your hands as far as what you can choose from. So, um, I'd hate to see the double E go, but, uh, if it's the right name and it's got to be changed, I think it's something that has to happen. Yeah, I, I think you can be both. I think you can be sad that the, you know, the, especially, you know, the Nick team nickname that you played under is, is no longer, but also understanding that it is the, the right thing to do. So I don't think, you know, it seems today uh, that you can only be on one side uh, for some people. And there are two sides of it. You can be sad about the past and, you know, uh, accepting and, and realizing that the future is what it is. Absolutely. 100%. So as far as uh, the team, and, and, and I like the double E too. Uh, I, I hope they keep the double E because I think that uh, really works so well. But as far as some of the things that you were looking forward to, you know, what are some of the things you're looking to, forward to with uh, Scott Milanovic, the new head coach? You know, you, you're getting to know the process a little bit. What are the, some of the things that you're really excited about when you guys do hit the field? Well, Scott's got a very... Um he's got a very good vision of what he wants the team to be. Um, and when you're around a guy like that, it's, it's, it's fun because you can see what, what he's trying to build and how he's trying to build it. Um, and plus he, he's an offensive, an offensive mind with, with, with great philosophy, very ingenious in the things that he does. So as a defensive guy, I just love to be around those guys to soak up as much as I can because it's only going to make me a better defensive coach. So um, just his overall knowledge, um, manner, and uh, an attitude toward the game is something that I'm really excited for. Do you think the style of uh, this team will change drastically under Scott? Um, it depends. You know, it depends on who, who we have on sure. the team. <laughs> I mean, there's with all these guys opting out and, how that's going to pan out next free agency. The the team that we knew might not even be the team that we have. So um, I think whatever team comes in, I think if we do adopt Scott's mentality, I think we're going to be very, very successful. Yeah. It's, it's, it is kind of strange to uh, you know, you're, you're, you're providing a game plan and you know, if, if a certain player comes in, you can change the game plan a little bit. I think, uh, uh, the, the, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson proved that, you know, you can adopt a system around a player and be successful, but some of those guys that you were excited to see might not be back because we don't know what's happening. Were there some guys that, you know, you were really looking forward to working with again, or, or are there some guys on the radar that you're looking forward to, to working with on the defensive side as you add linebackers coach along with the special teams coordinator duties? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the the group of linebackers that we have under contract, if we were to play this year and we had those guys, I think we'd be a very strong crew. Um, you know, I think I was watching Tuggle, you know, watching all his film, Justin Tuggle, and I was really excited to get to work with him, especially in uh, Noel Thorpe's system. I mm-hmm. think Tuggle would have a huge impact. Um, I think Diggs, did a great job last year as a rookie stepping in and then doing a lot of solid things. And I think the sky is the limit for him. And then obviously Santos Knox is, is uh, when he's on the field, he, he he's a big time difference maker. And I was really getting excited to see him come in fully healthy, cutting him loose and then watching all these guys fight it out during camp. Um, I think the, the competition during camp with the guys we had under, under contract was going to be fierce 
And when it's like that, you can have a very strong group. So from the linebacker's perspective, all the guys that we had, I was really excited to work with. Um, as far as the specialists go, I think we have between King, Q, and Whitey, I think we have the best three guys in the league. I mean, they're consummate pros. They, they work their tails off to, to hone their craft. They're very detailed in everything that they do. So as a special teams coach, it's, it's fun to be around guys like that who will ask questions that aren't just generic, but that have real insight and thought behind them. Um, and then to see Terry Williams would have, um, would have been very exciting because I know how he burned us a couple of times mm-hmm. last year. And it, it's good to have a guy like that on your team instead of having to play against. Uh, it's, it's amazing when, when you look at, uh, you know, the, the, the player today, it's, it's a little bit different. I, you know, I've heard this in, in hockey a lot that, you know, today's player doesn't just say, okay, I'll do it. They kind of want to know why, like when you're in hockey, you're explaining drills and I don't know how it works particularly in football and training camp, but it's almost like today's player is taking a more interest in, the I don't know the the why and instead of just the do it almost it's it's like a, a you know and maybe that started when you were playing where you guys were asking questions about that but today's player seems to want to be more involved in the why and things like that and the how and not just blindly going off and doing something do you get that sense no oh, absolutely and and I think that it's just uh it's so healthy for the game to have guys like that involved um, because their decision making is a little bit quicker when they understand the why. Right. And they're just out there running, you know, running to an A-gap for whatever reason. Their decision-making, you know, when that play or view changes is going to be a whole lot slower when when they understand why they're going through there and the situation changes on the field, they can adapt and be a much stronger, faster player. So um, I love the question why because it gets their minds thinking. And when their mind thinks and understands the plan, then they react faster and play better football. So it's a great question of why. How different do you think you are now? Like, I mean, you retired and you spent a year as the, I think a defensive assistant and you're just fresh off of uh, kind of retirement. So you're still kind of close to the game. How different of a coach do you think you are? How have you evolved in, uh, in different ways? Do you think? Well, I'm, I would say I'm far more well-rounded. I, I think that, uh, you know, in, in 2008, you could have asked me anything defensively and and I'd have an answer for you. I think now you can ask me anything defensively, offensively and anything on special teams and I'll have a great answer for you. So, I think I've just developed into understanding more of the total game than just my, you know, single defensive um mindset that I had when I was a player. Well, and and it's interesting you spent that year with the the team and then you you went and got your degree and started doing some volunteering and then started coaching at the high school level and you know had success and 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 that's how you become a a well-rounded player not to say that you couldn't have stayed here and became a defensive coach or something like that but you went and learned at a different level and then you know, can apply that uh, knowledge as you go and and you know instead of you know do you think that was the 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 best way to kind of well-round yourself as far as a coach? Well, yeah, personally, I think that was the greatest thing that a decision I had made was to to go ahead and drop down and and start to build up basically from the bottom up. Um, When when you're a high school head coach, you don't just coach football. I mean, you're you're coaching academics. You're also the video coordinator. 
you're, you're the film exchange guy, you're the practice plan guy. Mm-hmm. So there's just so many things that um, come with being a high school head coach. And all of those things pay dividends when you move up the ranks. So um, I think that was a awesome experience for me. I had a great time. Um, and, you know, I'm fortunate to be where I am right now with all of that information. So you take all that, and uh, what was it like uh, applying the knowledge that you've gained to being special teams coordinator last year? Uh, well, you know, I, I played a ton of special teams when I was here, and then every year that I coached, I, I coached special teams at the high school level. So um, understanding the, the importance of that game just from playing up here allowed me to go ahead and practice a ton of stuff down there at the high school level. And then when I come back up here, now I look at the coaches like Ryan Bold and, and uh, the Calgary special teams coordinator and, and all the guys throughout the league that, um, you know, they've, they've done this for a very long time and they're very intricate in how they do things. So for me, it was coming up here and learning, learning those guys as well. So um, I think what I had was good. And then learning from what those guys are doing on film just, just made me better. It's amazing. Offense and defense get so much attention, uh, and special teams is is so important. And the, you know the biggest misconception is that if oh if you don't score touchdowns on your special teams, it's not very good, and people rank it by that. And listen, we all loved watching Gizmo uh, return and do do the backflips, but field position it's all it's all a chess match on on special teams, is it not? It is. I mean, there's, there's the biggest plays in football are usually going to be made in, in the special teams department. The biggest chunks of yardage that, that uh, happen on single plays happen on special teams. And football is just a battle of real estate. So when you have the opportunity to either steal real estate or take it, you, you got to do it. And those plays usually happen on special teams. Uh, well said. Uh, you're also going to be a uh, linebackers uh, coach. And obviously, uh, the CFL salary cap for coaches exists. I hope it doesn't for very long. I think it's just silly that it's handicapping every team. But anyway, uh, you, you get a chance to to work out with the the linebackers. That has to be obviously exciting because that's where you excelled as an es- as as a as an Eskimo when you did play for that team. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you know, as a special teams coach, you, know, you can guarantee that all my linebackers are going to be on every single special team. So. Um, it'll be fun to work with the group that we have. It'll be fun to tie those guys into the things we do on special teams. Let's talk about, uh, your playing career and, you know, you, you grew up playing, uh, you know, baseball and football, as we found out in, uh, uh, one timers that'll come out a little bit later, but what other positions in, in football did you play growing up? Uh, well, I started out when I didn't know anything about football when I was eight. You know, I started out playing defensive end, and this, the one coaching point that I got was run up field and box and contain and turn everything inside. <laughs> um, that's the first thing that I learned, and that still holds true today, that you got to have contain or else you have no defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so after my year at, at defensive end, then I started playing running back, and I played running back from age 9 up to age 15. Um, and then at age 15, my coaches pulled me in and said, every time you break a runoff and you get into the open field, you're looking to run people over instead of scoring touchdowns. Why don't we move you to linebacker? And it was from that point on, I I played linebacker, um, which to me is a mirror image of running back. You see the same picture, the same holes, 
take the same angles. You just don't carry the ball. So um, that's it. It was running back and linebacker with a brief stint my first year at defensive end. That's uh, very interesting. Do you, looking back on it, do you remember being like, oh, there's a guy I can run over? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because because when it happened, I was instantly off the field, onto the sideline, getting getting yelled at for not scoring a touchdown. <laughs> uh, that, listen, that feeling, though, and phys- football is – uh, the ultimate uh, power physical game. But that feeling of whether you're a running back or a linebacker, of absolutely running somebody over. Not a lot of people in life get to realize that. Now, some of them would like to with their boss or whatever, but not <laughs> a lot of people get to have that feeling. Can you describe what it is when you just truck somebody and just destroy them? Well, it's, it's just a feeling of uh, dominance, you know, when you totally just dominate and control your opponent is is just amazing it's almost like when you when you're a running back i mean again when you're a linebacker as well but you have like this little force field around your body and and when impact comes you don't feel it you know you only feel it when it's over so it's just that awesome feeling of of being numb throughout the play and then if you do get your bell rung a little bit it happens you realize it after the fact but um i just love the feeling of being able to get that contact in and and stop a dude dead in his tracks and just bury him into the ground. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, so you, you, you're growing up, you're obviously wanting to play in the NFL you know, the Canadian football is strange. It gives a wonderful career as you had, but it's not something kids in the United States, I think, grow up dreaming of. I mean, kids in Canada don't grow up saying I want to play in the KHL or something. They're looking at the NHL that is right in front of them. So how much knowledge did you have about the CFL before you arrived here? Uh, I had zero. Zero knowledge other than, obviously, when, when Rocket signed in Toronto. Right. You know, that was a big deal. And then we catch a couple games now and then on, on ESPN. Um, but I didn't really know much other than what my coaches in college had told me. And a lot of them had coached up here. And they were kind of the ones that, steered me to to come on up so um it was a learning experience from day one having everything thrown at you i think the biggest thing that i noticed was the speed not just of the game but the speed of the players i remember that first camp i was like my god everybody is just so fast how am i ever going to compete you know but you learn the game you learn the nuances you take better angles and Mm -hmm. and you end up leveling the playing field yeah, I don't think people realize how different the angles are for for a linebacker or a defensive back when you have that uh, different uh, dimensions of the field. It's not the same field you grew up on your whole life. Not, not even, and and again, it's it's part of that learning learning curve that some guys don't get right away, and then yeah. those opportunities to play are gone. So you better adapt quick and and pay attention. And I think that's one of the things that helped me out was paying attention to the to the veteran guys when I got here. You know, Jed Roberts, Willie Plass, Trent Brown. I mean, all those guys kind of took me under their wing and gave me lots of lessons in, in how to play this game. Well, and it is so interesting. It's, it's not only a different game. You're in a different country, and for some players, a totally different culture. I mean, you know, Ed Hervey grew up in a, in a world that, you know, none of us can almost imagine where, he, you know, he told me once that his 
brother had a gun stuck down his throat and you know growing up in Compton it was much different and then you know end up in Edmonton it's a you know it could be a culture shock I mean some of the things I loved was coming down for training camp and talking to some of uh, the American players that had no idea about the uh, the CFL and how different it is and then that first snowfall is always I imagine that was always a fun thing as you became a veteran to see some of those guys deal with that first snowfall would be funny no, it's hilarious. Totally hilarious. I, I, I remember being the guy like, why are you guys wearing two socks? <laughs> what, what are the gloves under the gloves for? You know, so, so many things that, you know, I would never have ever had to, to even deal with. You know, I was watching everybody and how they approach the cold weather. And I'm not going to lie, the novelty wore off really, really quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Like it's uh it's, it's at least, you know, you're, you're moving around a bit, but you're still freezing. I'm, you know, once you get used to it after a while, you just, you know, you it's just another element you're dealing with. Uh, and if you want to, if you want to play at the best time of the year, you got to play in the coldest time of the year in Canada. Yep. That's exactly right. What about, um, your whole career you played in Edmonton. I mean, you know, that's, that's very rare for the CFL where some guys play for every team. I mean, Kevin Glenn has almost done the, uh, the, the whole tour, but you know, what was it about you wanting to spend your whole career with this franchise? Well, one, I, I just loved the city. You know, I love the support. Uh, I got tied into doing a lot of community stuff. Probably my third year, I started doing a lot of community stuff with schools and, traveling up and down Alberta, hitting schools along the way. Um, so I really grew attached to the community. Um, and any, every time I came to a contract year, um, I wasn't the type of person that was just out for the biggest dollar. Uh, I was the type of guy who wanted to be in a great organization with great teammates in a great community. And Edmonton had those things for me. And um, and made my decisions to, to re-sign here every time very easy. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it is uh, like I've worked in a couple of different markets in the uh, the Canadian Football League. And, uh, you know, Saskatchewan is its own animal because there's that one team. Uh, mm-hmm. But there was all I always felt honored whenever I got to walk into Commonwealth Stadium to do interviews or cover the Eskimos because, you know, I grew up, you know, for me, I grew up watching Brian Kelly, uh, you know, catch passes for the uh, the then Edmonton Eskimos. So for, for I always felt a, a sense of uh, pride uh, to be able to do that. And, um, you know, you you look from uh, the, the top down um, with uh, the, the Edmonton Eskimos over the years, and it's always been kind of proud tradition got off track a, a little bit but um there's always been that pride that uh you know comes from the top down in this organization and and i think that would be something that would want make a player want to stay absolutely i mean and and not to mention that uh, you know for the longest time edmonton had the best facilities um you know so it was just it was the total package for me and a lot of the guys that decided to do the same thing and, and stay in town you played, uh, you know, in a physical game and one of the most physical positions uh, in the game. When did you, you know, was there, um, was there a signal that you got when you said, okay, it's it's time to retire? And other than the fact that, you know, your body gets beat up after a while, was there something that told you to retire? Yeah, you know, it was my body. It, it was the fact that uh, getting into the weight room, um, 
after season in, in January and, and trying to start the process again of building back up and training and running and doing those things, I realized that, you know, in camp in 2007, I, I tore my meniscus in my left knee and the opportunity there was, okay, we can stitch it up and you could be out, you know, six to eight weeks or we can remove it and you could play in two. So my decision at that point was just take out the meniscus. Hmm. I'll, you know, I'll strap it up and play the season. Um, so I never really got a chance to rehab it correctly because I just went from surgery to getting stitches out to playing football. So um, getting back in, that was just one of the things that kind of let me know getting back into training was one of the things that let me know it was time is when, you know, I looked at my legs and I could totally see a difference in size. And I just knew that the hill was going to be way too, way too high to climb. Um, and I just thought it'd be better to just move on with, with a coaching career. It's it's amazing the things that professional athletes of all sports play through, isn't it? No, oh, it's it's nuts. <laughs> I mean, your own injuries—you would have uh, you know a, a lot of them, but you, you've probably seen some crazy stuff too. I mean, the amount of fingers that that shouldn't be going in that direction that you've probably seen uh, on your own hands or somebody else's. Oh, absolutely! I got—I would say my my right hand it looks looks a little bit different than my left but I'm not Dan Kepley. I, right. I know you've seen Kep's hands. Those fingers go in all directions. Yeah. They're pointing um, in a different direction. Each one of them. Almost. Yes, they are. We didn't know who he, who he was pointing at and yelling at during games sometimes, <laughs> but it is, it's an amazing thing that when you love to do something and you understand that the window to do it is so small and, and opportunities usually don't present themselves um, twice in this sport. So if you have the opportunity to play, you hold on to it as long as possible. And, um, that's definitely what I did. No doubt. Um, one incident in your career is uh, pretty legendary. Um, I, I, your, your helmet toss is something <laughs> that I have to bring up. And, you know, I, at the time you're, you're enraged and, you know, when you look back on it now, do you look back on it with some humor? I do. I totally do. But I also look back on it with regret. Um, the, the thing about that team at that time is we were young. We had lots of guys who really didn't know the impact of, of that Calgary game that we played, whether it was first one of the year, Labor Day Classic, or the return. It was just they didn't really quite get it yet, and, and I think we lacked a little bit of attitude. Mm -hmm. um, so heading into that game, I think we were both playing for first place, or we're, we were both kind of competing for the top spot in the West. Um, so intensity was high and, um, I let it get the best of me. Um, uh, when me and uh, rookie Kenny Onatalu got kicked out, you know, we're watching from the, the, the locker room and then we lose that game. So, um, I, I think in, in certain, in certain ways it was, it was good to let the team know these young guys know how serious this rivalry was, but the negative of that was that we were both kicked out of a game and we ended up losing. So. You know, there, there's humor in there and there's a little bit of regret as well. And just a lesson, right? You know, a lesson that you can impart on other players now that you're coaching that will be going into that intensity and that emotion of that game. You know, I've used, I've used that many, many times to, to, to let guys know how, you know, control is always the better, 
better option when you're in a heated situation. Right. Now, there are some things that happen in those piles that shouldn't happen. And uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the bottom of a pile in a football game is, is like Thunder Bay, Hudson Bay rules. It's trench warfare down there. So you're either giving it or getting it. So you better be ready when you're down there. Yeah, um, there's, I no, think, there's no bystanders, yeah, right? Yeah, it's it's all hidden. It's all secret, you know. And the funny part about that is early on, early into that play, like, you know, Pilon kind of tackled me down. I sh- tried to make a move inside and he took me down. But I ended up on top. So, you know, my forearm's in his neck, you know, so obviously he's going to go ahead and do what he can do. And that's kind of sparked the whole thing. Um, But what I love is the the team's reaction, you know, the team's reaction, Sean Fleming, Ed Hervey, all those guys put things in my locker. It was just, they made it into a very fun experience because I think deep down they knew that I was kind of down about um, having been kicked out of the game and us losing. Yeah, that's your teammates picking you up. And there, there, there's a pretty funny story about, I think Sean Fleming put like a, a, a jock strap in, uh, in your, in your uh, locker room or something like that. And th- yeah. that, that's picking a guy up when he might feel down a little bit. That's a good teammate. No, it was awesome. It, it really was. Yeah, Sean. Well, it's it's not surprising that uh, those two guys were uh, a big part of your uh, wedding as well as uh, good teammates. Um, yeah. The rivalry with with Calgary is is you know that you know is legendary. We all know that. Uh, the rivalry you built with Montreal, though, wasn't based on a whole lot of history. It was just based on you two being the best two teams for that, what, five, six, ten-year stretch, whatever it was. What was that rivalry like? Because it always ended in Grey Cups. Yeah, that was um, that was a, uh, an incredible time for, for, for us and them because we had solid group of players on both teams. We had great coaching staffs on both teams. And, and when we went together and we battled on the field, it always ended up being an amazing game uh, because I think we were so well matched as far as talent went. Um, and again, it was, it was knocked down, drag out brawls all the way, all the way through, whether it was a pre or whether it was uh, regular season or a gray cup, it, you knew you were going to go into Montreal and get their best. And they knew when we were coming, we were bringing our best. And I think that's what made such a great, uh, great rivalry and great battles. Yeah. And, and I find, you know, now that I look back on it, you think about the two quarterbacks. Well, they were two very kind of humble quarterbacks that didn't, weren't projected stars. I mean, we all know Ricky Ray's uh, Frito-Lay passed, right? And then he becomes mm-hmm. one of the best quarterbacks in history. And Anthony Calvillo was also uh, kind of an unheralded guy who who went on to great things. And they weren't very mobile, but they were so successful. I mean, you just start from those quarterbacks and then you go down from uh, some of the other positions. You guys were also evenly matched, it seemed. Yeah, like I say, it was, it was an amazing time as far as talent goes for, for both for both organizations. Um, everybody was just at the top of their game for that five, six-year period, which made for awesome football and a great rivalry. Two great cups in two different settings, one outdoors in uh, that you won, one outdoors in Regina, the other one indoors in BC. What stands out about 03 in Regina? It was so cold. <laughs> I mean, it, the wind was blowing. Um, it was old Astro turf. So it, it froze and got to be like, like ice 
And it was almost to the point where we were going to go out and wear cleats after halftime because it was so cold and the wind was, was blowing. Um, but that 2003 team that after we got beat at home in 2002, the right. 2003 team, we knew we were taking it. Like, I know if people talk about, well, you don't know. And, but I think we had resolved that we were going to go ahead and, and win this at any cost. And, um, when we showed up, lots of different guys made plays, dudes showed up when they had to, and, and we did a great job as a, as a unit, but that was probably the most talented, um, unstoppable team that I had been a part of. Uh, the 2005 team was probably the grittiest, toughest, um, most blue-collar team that I had been a part of. Um, you know, we got some pieces from Montreal that year. Uh, in the offseason, they came in, adapted to us right away. And, uh, you know, that was one of those teams where, you know, regardless of the situation, we were going to fight our way out. You know, we had a chance at the end of the year to finish first in the West and get a bye, and we lose to Calgary, got to go back to Calgary and play, then off to BC. Mm-hmm. So it was it, it was an epic way for, for that season to end. And I think any other team wouldn't have had the the, the drive to, to push through that situation at the end of the year with, you know, with the quarterbacks, with us losing, you know, with the second-half comebacks, all those things was just built from that group of guys that, you know, were just blue collar fight till the end guys. Well, that playoff is the, you know, remembered so much for Jason Moss and his, uh, 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 sideline speeches and heroic comebacks. And then, you know, Ricky Ray, uh, you know, guides every, you know, Ricky Ray was, was so legendary in his calmness. I don't know if you ever saw that guy seem flustered, but the two things I remember about 05 was Danny jumping on the field a little bit early, uh, when he thought you guys had won. And then the little crow hop that Ed did on his, in his touchdown and that overtime game. I mean, you know, what do you remember specifically about that game? Um, a couple things about that game really stood out. Um, Donnie Brady had a chance to pick off a pass at yeah. the end, thrown right to him, bounces off his chest. Um, then they had a, a third and whatever. Um, we thought they were going to kick a field goal. They sent the field goal team on, a field goal return team on. Montreal kept their offense on. So you got all of these dudes running on for field goal return. Anthony Covillo under center. So I run up, hit the offensive lineman to get the five yard penalty just so that, um, we got a chance to put our defense back on the field right. and we did and, and we got through it. But, um, the coolest thing for me out of that game was the fact that last play of the game, Cavillo scrambles, decides to punt it. And I go ahead and field and I got myself a punt return to end the game, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, that is, uh, that is such uh, great stuff. All right, uh, let's do one word association for some of your uh, former teammates, and we'll start with Ed Hervey. Uh, just one word, huh? Well, you can, you can uh, throw in a couple if you want. Well, I'll just go with business. Business, yeah. That, that is definitely one for Ed. Sean Fleming. Legend. Jason Moss. Well, see, now this is a, this is a multiple word one. So to me, Moss is the ultimate team player. I don't, you know, I don't think that anybody realizes the thing that he did in 2005 to win us that great cup, not just from what he did on the field, but what he did off the field and decision-making heading into that great cup game was, was one of the 
greatest team things that I've ever been around. All right. Ricky Ray. Cool hand Luke. <laughs> no doubt, eh? Uh, Mike Pringle. Beast. Jason Tucker. Smooth. <laughs> no doubt. That corner route, they patented that. Uh, Singor Mobley. Man, Singor, there, there's a thousand different things to say about Singor. I'm going to call Singor complete because he was probably the most complete football player that, that I've ever played with. Nice. Rashad Ginty. Rashad, Rashad was a sponge. He came up here, I think he was 19 when he got here, yeah. and he, he just soaked up everything that everybody taught him. He listened, he learned, and it's no wonder he went down and played, you know, six or seven years in, in Cincinnati. Yeah, that is totally true. Donnie Brady. Physical. I haven't, I haven't been around a halfback who could get his hands on a receiver and, and dominate guys like Donnie has. All right. And Joe Monfort. Joe Monfort, tenacious. You know, Joe, watching Joe Monfort pass rush is, it's like watching a Tasmanian devil out there. I mean, it was first move, second move, third move, running. I mean, he was only like 220, but built like a rock and his motor never stopped. Well done. And uh, a, a guy like you, you had a great 10-year career. I always uh, admired your uh, passion, your toughness, and uh, now leading the way on the coaching staff. AJ, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the program. Uh, I can't wait till we can get uh, out on the football field and uh, chat a little bit further. Me too. Thanks for having me, Dean. All the things that grow up on the land I could pick up with my huge hands I could wave to someone This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. If I only had those two huge hands, maybe I could reach you then. Maybe I could touch you again if I had two huge hands. That was a great conversation uh, with uh, AJ Gass, a former tough as nails linebacker uh, with Edmonton and uh, as mentioned now involved in coaching good dude too I really enjoyed uh, you know covering his career getting to know him and as we mentioned off the top our uh, our wives worked together it was such a weird uh, feeling walking into that wedding and I sat at a table with Jason Moss and Ed Hervey called me up in front of everybody um, insinuating that I was spying jokingly as a spy media member. And uh, at that wedding, you had to throw a football through a hoop and shoot a puck into the net to make them kiss. And he made me demonstrate. I missed one of them. I'll let you guess on which one I missed, but it was a blast of a wedding. Uh, that is for sure. So uh good chat with a good dude. And uh, I hope those guys uh, definitely can get everything sorted out and uh, get back on track. All right, uh, we got to get to our ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question now. This is a serious message. Peace and love. Peace and love. A lot of fantasy football drafts going on right now. Who would you take first at the quarterback position in a draft? Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson. 
Mahomes is running away with it at uh, just over 69% of the vote. 28% going to Lamar Jackson, 2.6% to Deshaun Watson. Do people forget what Lamar Jackson did last year? Hmm. You know, I would have no problem in a draft waiting and taking a guy like Deshaun Watson. I think he's, I don't know, maybe it's just every time I turn on the Texans, he's doing something f- amazing. Um, no votes yet for Dak Prescott. Now, this is the first, not who who would you want. This is uh, the first, and uh, Mahomes, for a lot of reasons, uh, gets a lot of attention. By the way, you can get in the game where you own the game at, with Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. As mentioned, they're getting in with MMA, so you will be able to draft a roster full of UFC fighters. This is cool stuff. Get the details at UFFSports.com. And in honor of our guest today, AJ Gass, we're doing Perfect Player Edmonton football team linebackers. I almost said the nickname we can't use anymore. Um, But all of these guys played under the double E, the Edmonton Eskimo logo. So we'll ask uh, for your uh, top Edmonton football team linebackers. So your, your perfect player goes like this. You take three guys to make the perfect player. So we're doing linebackers. We've done defensemen. We've done goalies. We've done all sorts of things. Three linebackers that wore the green and gold. I, I have to include A.J. Gass. He was the guy that I watched when I moved uh, to Edmonton and saw this guy uh, just in, you know, really uh, in the prime of his uh, career. Uh, and the guy that coached him is Dan Kepley. And as A.J. mentioned in the uh, the interview, his fingers, uh, they're, they're going all different ways. But when you watch video and, and you hear the stories of Dan Kepley, you're like, wow, that guy did everything to win. Uh, he lived hard and he played hard. Uh, that's for sure. And Willie Pless. Willie Pless was uh, Mr. Everything. So if you take AJ Gass, Dan Kepley, and Willie Pless, I think you get the perfect player when it comes to Edmonton football team linebackers. That's it for me. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. Big thanks to AJ Gass. Uh, for dropping by and giving me some time. We'll have one-timers with AJ coming out in a couple of days where it's amazing. Uh, we exact have the favorite sports memory from when we were kids. The exact same memory. It is so spooky. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh, leave us a review. Leave us a review, rather. Let us know what you think of the show. Head to podcastalley.ca for all of your podcast episodes, past episodes of this show, including Hockey Hall of Famer, Grant Fuhr, uh, Vegas Golden Knights GM, Kelly McCrimmon, and much more. You can check all that out at podcastdaily.ca where you can find all different kinds of podcasts. And if you'd like to be a part of the program as an advertiser, hit me up, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Big thanks to AJ Gas and big thanks to Sweet Bejesus. They are the official band of Sports and More, the podcast. You heard the song, um... The huge song earlier as we returned from the interview. As we end the show, here is I Think from Sweet Bejesus. You can get their debut album on Apple Music. It is called Policeman's Creek. Have a great week, everybody. Playtime is over.
Smile.